Good morning again. We had a great intro, didn't we? Little guy. Um, and by the way, those that you're going to get, if you get two, then you can eat the chocolate and the other one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding, okay, Ronald? <laughs> Would you stand? We're going to be in First Peter. We'd like to stand in honoring God's word. He said he honored his word above his name even. Very important, and we know that. We get into it every Sunday for that reason. It's food. It's the seed of the of the substance of our growth. So 1 Peter, we're in chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses on either side of the 3, 1 through 12. So beginning in chapter 2 and verse 11, we're going to be talking about living in submission to God. So I wanted to read the verses that have that word submit or submission in it. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether, it, whether to the king as supreme. And then he goes on, verse 17. Again, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only, in the good, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Chapter 3, verse 1. When wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if they do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then the final one is in, ch in chapter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace the humble. So, Lord, we, again, wide open, our ears are open, our hearts, Lord, we're praying that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. I pray, Lord, for the things that I prepared, you break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry, and Lord, we know that you desire that we would grow in our faith, in our love, that we would be those that are continuing to know you more intimately, growing closer and closer to you, walking more and more, more and more in sanctification and obedience and love and faith. 
So, Lord, we just need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your word. So I ask, Lord, again, that you would feed us. We're hungry. You bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, again, we just read, living in submission to God. Peter used this word six times in five relationships. The submission of civilians to the governing authorities and institutions. We talked about that last week. Also last week, submission of servants to their masters. You might look at that as employees to employers and many other applications. That particular idea is mentioned several times in the New Testament. The whole servant-master relationship. Three, submission of wives to their own husbands. Note that their own husbands. So that's what he talked about. We're going to look at a little bit this morning. In chapter 5, submission of the younger people to the older people. And then in 5 again, submission of each of us to all of us. Be submissive to, all, to each other. Submission in the fear of God in the book of uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians. So this word submit or submission is a military term for order under authority. It's a military term of order under authority. So I'm, I'm going to give you what I have come to sort of land on in talking about this area of submission because it's a huge area and it's got a lot of bad rap in many, many ways in the world. Submission to God is God's order under God's authority. Submission to God is God's order under God's authority. Submission to God is agreement with God's design in obedience to God's commands. God has a way that he has created things, a way that he wants us to live. So it's agreement with God's design in obedience to God's commands. Submission to God has been resisted, rebelled against since before the world was. Lucifer, Satan, decided he was no longer willing to be in submission to God. So these passages I want to go to have a lot in them, but let's just read them in Ezekiel. As far as this Lucifer, who is Satan, in Ezekiel 28, 14, he says, You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of, the fire, of fiery stones. You were perfect in your way from the day you were noticed created. Satan is a created being. Now, this is referring to other applications historically, but for our purpose this morning, something happened in God's order. There was a rebellion. And so, from the day of created, till iniquity was found in you. Now, we go over to Isaiah chapter 14. Now, how you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer... Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you, are, you who weakened the nations. For you have said, notice, in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Verse 14, I will again, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Notice this. I will be like the most high. I say, whoa. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So this was insubordination in the highest levels of God's created order. 
Satan himself no longer wanted to submit to God. He then came into this world once created and deceived Eve in the same rebellion. And Adam willingly followed. And may I say it this way. It's been a mess ever since. (laughs) When God is ruling as he should be, there is harmony, there is order, there is beauty, there is peace, there's joy, all those things. But something happened. And so basically, we sinners do not like being told by God or anyone else what to do. It's because of sin. Sin has made insubordinate rebels of all of us. It's basically like the three-year-old little boy saying to his four-year-old little sister, you are not the boss over me. I mean, you don't even have to build it. It's there right from the start. Why? Let's identify the root problem of this resistance, the root problem of this pushback, the root problem of this insubordination. It's one word. It's because of sin. And we see the symptoms all the time. So when we're looking at a problem, we have to come back to the root problem. The root problem is sin. What we're dealing with in all these different issues in our culture today that have arisen are all a symptom of a root problem of sin. Something happened. Satan rebelled. Man rebelled. And it's been a mess ever since. So that's the root problem. But let's also remember God's remedy. The gospel. God sent his son. God had a remedy for the rebellion, the rebels. Last week, the word of the Lord to us was, can we just get our hearts refocused on the gospel? Ronald sharing what he shared. The answer to the problems in life is the gospel. It begins there. So the question is, have you surrendered your life? Have you submitted your life back to God through repentance in the gospel? That's where it begins. That's where the problems begin to be understood and can be dealt with. See, the gospel, listen, the gospel is God's rescue for sinners. The gospel is God's reconciliation for rebels. The gospel is God's offer of forgiveness and peace with him through Jesus Christ. How? On the cross. The gospel, listen, this is so fantastic. The gospel is the good news of submission. What submission? The submission of the Son of God to God the Father. That's what the gospel is. It is the actual expression of love. Now, the world has messed this up, and we'll get to that in a minute. Submission is... To God is God's order under God's authority. Submission is agreement with God's design in obedience to God's commands. The command of God is repent and be saved. It's the gospel. That's where it starts. So I wanted to read a few passages to take in a little bit. The submission of the Godhead. The love of God. John chapter 5 verse 30. Jesus saying, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. 
John, again, chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of God and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. My friends, that is the love of God through the gospel in the submission of the Son to the Father to die on a cross for our sin. I'm getting excited. It's powerful. We look, you know, the world wants to take submission. That's a bad thing. No, it's not. It's the most loving thing you'll ever experience in all of life when you realize that the Godhead understands submission. The Godhead is submission. And you can't have love without it. I just want to set aside this worldly ideas about submission being this bad thing. Oh, it's bad when it's not understood. We'll get that in a moment. John 14. And now I have told you before it comes, this is, incre- this is Jesus as he's getting ready to go to the cross on that night. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the, for the, the rule of this world is coming. It has nothing to me. No, Satan is going to be doing his, his stuff. But Jesus is absolutely in submission to the Father doing what will become victorious for us. So the devil's coming, has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. His Father gave a commandment. Arise, let us go from here. He's heading in obedience to the cross. Why? Because that's what the Father had for him. That's what love did. John, uh, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus in the garden on that night he was betrayed. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, the biggest nevertheless, longest nevertheless that you'll ever see in all. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. Jesus wasn't fighting. It wasn't this argument among God. No, it was who God is. Philippians. Let this mind be in which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, submission, even the death of the cross. Now just stop and ponder a moment. This is what God did. This is who he is. It's the gospel lived out through death, and resurrection, and ascension, and we get to enter into that love. Submission is the heartbeat of the love of God. It's the love of God that saves the vilest sinner and the angriest rebel. That's the love of God. That's the cross So as we're looking at this whole thing of submission, the world has ruined it and will continue to do so. It's intentionally dragged it through the the muck and mire of fallen man and given it these pictures that have nothing that lines up with what the Bible describes as the submission of God. So whatever your idea, it's... the world is foreign to the heart of God. Whatever your idea of submission might be, can I tell you what it's not? It is not someone oppressing you, 
someone trashing you, someone trampling on you, is not someone doing violence against you. It's not someone degrading, cheapening, and belittling you. That is not what God expects in in this submission thing. God's order under God's authority is foreign to those kinds of ideas. Submit. Submit. Jesus said, come. Come. These things are evil before God, and they will be judged. So if you're treating someone in this way, any of these things, may I say as gently as possible with the full force of the word of God, you need to stop. You need to repent. You need to get it right with God. So once again, just opening up here, we come back to the cross. To the cross. Where Jesus bore all these same evils that he might offer to us for our sake forgiveness. It's the cross. And that's where you and myself, for our sin, need to kneel. But then also, it's also through Jesus Christ that we might forgive others who have trespassed against us. And that's the commands of God. That's, if you will, the order of God. So again, the most important question, have you submitted your life to Christ? And not only that, are you every day submitting your life to Christ? Starting the day, if need be, at the cross, you were created in the image of God, and God loves you. And God has an order, and God has a design, and God has commands. Not, not to ruin our party, but to make us understand the love of God in its full expression, even as we'll look at, begin looking at Peter, even in suffering and wrongfulness, God himself sees us as valuable, with purpose and meaning, significance. So the three things, we, we'll, get, we'll kind of hit these this morning, but the three things that come up as far as living in submission to God are these three. Living in submission to God's word. Living in submission to God's values. And by the way, one leads to the other to the other because the final one is submission to God's blessings. That's always what God's wanting to do for us. He's wanting to bless our lives. So Jesus said, come to me, all you laboring or heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, submission, and learn from me, submission, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Starts with the gospel. It starts with the submission in God's word. So verse, wives, likewise, be submissive to your, now notice, own husbands. Says it twice. This is not talking about submission of women to men. It's of a wife to her own husband that even if some do not obey the word, in other words, they're not believers. 
And this was, this was a huge thing back then because the women were coming in droves, but the men weren't. And so a lot of women had, now that they accepted Christ, unbelieving husbands. Maybe one by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So this, there is order. God has an order for the home and for marriage. And before us here, we have the, the, the authority in God's word of that home where the husband is not a believer and the wife is. And so what, she, what he's saying is, if, it's, if that's the case in your home, don't keep bugging your husband about being about Jesus. Let your life speak of the love of God. Now, I hope that you're hearing it. This is the, the, the breadth of what we could talk about as far as the differences in all these different... I get that. I understand that. Do you, under, you give me that credit? <laughs> I guess this is not anything easy. But Peter is laying out, hey, as a wife of an unbelieving husband, let your love for Jesus just speak through what you're doing. For Jesus. Now, I wondered why Peter spends six verses talking to wives and one to husbands. Now, you could skew this thing all over the place. But first of all, because the issue was big. A lot of men were not knowing Christ. But the other thing I think of, you know, the women were coming to Christ. They were just smart. Then you got these men, these dumb men, these hard-minded men. They're just sort of going along. I don't know. You can put that up on a commentary if you want. God's order, God's design is in the marriage relationship defined. If we went to Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to go there, you can, but I'm going to just hit it lightly. The way that I look at marriage, and by the way, Saturday, I hope you couples, not this Saturday, May 1st, I hope you couples will come to what we're going to have here is sharing about marriage because it's always helpful to get a little input into the relationships that we have as husbands and wives, always. So in Ephesians, I look at marriage in that passage as an investment of two lives for a lifetime. The investment of two lives, excuse me, let me clarify that for the sake of our culture. The investment of a man biological and a woman biological for a lifetime. Here's the three words. You can write them down. Respect, receive, respond. Let me say them again. Respect, receive, respond. The wife is to respect God's authority as he has invested it in her husband. Let me say that again. The wife is to respect God's authority as he has invested in her husband. And so in Ephesians, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the Lord is head of the, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. There is an authority in marriage relationship that puts the, the husband as the head. Now, before you get too haughty about that, <laughs> remember the neck turns the head? <laughs> but also, we haven't got to the husband yet. But the first thing that, that Peter, Paul talks about in Ephesians, 
Wives, be submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the head is the crisis. The husband's head of the wife is also a crisis head of the church. There is a structure and order that God has in the marriage relationship. Now, in that, it doesn't mean that they're less or whatever. Whatever. No, it's not that. God created the man and the woman in his image. He created man and woman in his image. We all are created. And the husband and wife or the man and the woman are the complementary expression of the Godhead fully. Now, wives, respect God's authority as it's been invested in their husbands. Husbands, check it out. Husbands, receive the love of God in order to invest that in your wife. Receive the love of God in order to then invest that in your wife. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So we as husbands have been given this incredible order. This command. To do for our wives what Christ did for us. May I say to you, you can no longer be haughty in thinking you're the head. You begin a responsibility for your wife's spiritual, mental, physical blessing to her. Now the final one, I could go on for a long time, but the husband and wife Respond as one to God for his investment in their marriage. It's fantastic. Respect, receive, respond. So he says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nurses and cherishes just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall what? Leave his father and mother, and they shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. Paul, this is a mystery. I don't know how it works. And Paul probably was married. But anyone married here that doesn't know that mystery? That it is a mystery? This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ's church. Nevertheless, let each one of you so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she, here it is again, respects her husband. So respond as one to God. Investing in their marriage. It is a huge, huge blessing to turn together to, together to God and realize what he's been doing and what he wants to accomplish in our marriages. Respect, receive, respond. Does this mean we get married and live happily ever after? <laughs> Not even close, okay? And I have a great marriage and a great wife. And if you ask that question, obviously you've never been married. <laughs> Very recently, Charlotte and I had a sudden disturbance of the force. <laughs> We're talking about rebellion, okay? Can't help it. And let me say to you, it's always yucky. It's not fun. It hurt both, one, because there was truth hard to hear. But secondly, 
there were misunderstandings that had not been known. Yes, after 35 plus years of marriage, Chart and I are still growing, still learning, still resting a little bit, but thankfully, we are still together as one. Let me just give you a little more on this. The things we said to each other never, for even a millisecond, threatened our commitment to each other. We didn't even think about it. Now, I will say to you, in the very beginning of our marriage, three months into it, I had to to be challenged by the Holy Spirit through my wife. Would I even allow that thought to sort of linger a little bit for someone else? It's okay, it's okay. The excuses. And I realized that right there, we were in Southern California, sitting in a car. And I realized, whoa, whoa, how subtle is my selfishness. Okay, that, that word is out of our vocabulary. But here's the cool thing. The whole of our, of our intense interactions, first of all, it didn't last very long. But even though they were short-lived, God took us a little deeper with each other. As we understood, this is the beauty of it, as we understood, we went for a walk, and we understood, not, not directly said, but we understood, not of our lack towards each other, but of our love for each other. And as we meandered through those things, that submission to God is a beautiful thing, but it requires a commitment to do what God has said to do in taking vows of marriage. Now, I know we're speaking to a lot of heartache in this room or online. I know that. There's a lot of heartache in our culture. A lot of heartache in our culture. But I'm bringing before you God's word and God's values and God's blessing in this whole area of submission to him to his orders, to his design, to his commands. And we can always, through repentance, come back to that place of submission to God. Again, Saturday, I hope you'll come for that, for, for you who are married or thinking of marriage or have a, have a couple or, or whatever you call that, dating. Okay. <laughs> So the second one is submission to God's values. Notice that's verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Now, does this mean, is Peter saying that caring about clothing and makeup and jewelry and hair are not important? No. He says, but don't let it be merely outward. I appreciate that Charlotte takes care of herself. And so would any honest husband say the same, and vice versa. But you can have all the outward adornment and be a shell inside. All the money that can buy the outward adornment can't buy anything as far as the heart. 
In fact, a lot of times it gets in the way of the heart. It's never the values of the world that win people to Christ. It's the values that God has. And of a quiet and gentle, I mean, the heart is what begins to shine through all that stuff. Some of what I've seen telecasted as Christian probably scares someone from ever coming to Christ when they see outward shenanigans that you see on TV. Even, the, even some of these ways that they're dressing. It's not the external display and appearance of the body, clothing, makeup, hair, jewelry that win a person to Christ. It's the value of the internal, hidden person of the heart. And so, my precious sisters, make sure, maybe a place to start for you, make sure you spend as much time before God as you do before the mirror. Make sure that. The first need we all have is to look into the perfect law of liberty, that mirror of God's word that reflects back, not outward, inward. Now, one more thought I want to share in this thing. Jesus did more to liberate and elevate women than anyone else has in all history. Never a question in God's mind, ever. Jesus caused seismic cultural shifts in how he valued women. Just a short thing. Jesus, first of all, was born of a woman. Jesus' women were prominent throughout his earthly ministry. Jesus went against the social and cultural norms to engage all kinds of women. So, when you hear some of these things that are so, supposedly what the Bible says in Christians and this, that, it is, theological term, baloney. This is who demonstrated exactly God's value, creating God's image, man and female, he, male and female, he created them in his image. So Jesus went to Jewish women, Gentiles, unclean women, adulterous women, moms and their children, hunchbacks and widows. Never a question his mind. The world wants us to get a question in our minds. I say, jettison it. This has nothing to do, submission has nothing to do with devaluing, degrading, or harming women. Nothing. At the foot of the cross, women. When he rose from the dead, the first to see him, what? Women. So we today here in this room, as men, we honor as husbands, we honor you. We're thankful that this whole male and female together is the complementary expression of who God is. Yes, created differently. Yes, we have different strengths and all that. Put Peter goes in there. But no less value on anyone who might be a female.
We talk about that enough? So in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. It seems to me in this passage that one of the most constant struggles of many a wife and a mom is what impact is my unbelieving husband, my unbelieving dad, going to have on my children? And that's legitimate and it's real. Peter may be seeking to reassure you that though it is difficult, ultimately because they, you are trusting in God by submitting to your husband and doing good, they don't have to be afraid. In fact, the Bible says their children are sanctified by the believing husband or wife. And may I point out, (laughs) it's not that Sarah had nothing to say. She had a lot to say if you read it. In fact, God even said, Abram, listen to your wife. Husbands, is he saying that to you? If you're not listening to your wife, you are completely crippling yourself. <laughs> Husbands, likewise, dwell with the understanding, giving honor to wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. God, husband, God is investing in you his authority for one purpose, love your wife. How is that to happen? Well, I won't go into it, but basically it's said that the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So, husband, I want to ask you, just remember pies. Pies. We are called to love our wives physically. Dwell with them. Be there. P. Are you trying to guess what they are? We are to love our wives intellectually, with understanding. Now, that means according to knowledge. In other words, you have to listen to your wife. You have to engage with your wife. E, we are to love our wives emotionally, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, I've already shared this a bit. This is not talking about inferiority It's rather talking about the way that God has created the woman, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. The fact is that genetically, women are weaker. Now, this whole thing we got going on with this transgender stuff, and men, I'm I'm going to, what's the word called? Identify as a woman. So she's going to, he is going to go out and run track. It's no contest. The world's been trying to tell us, no, no, you're not in that sense. And there's this weakness that also brings in deep emotional capacity. And the greatest strength is what might the world might call weakness. It's depth. It's emotional depth. It's this whole idea that tenderness and sensitivity is what a woman has. 
And I would venture a guess to say that you as a husband, when you first, the tenderness and the sensitivity was actually what attracted you. Because we like to get attention. Pies. We are to love her, I am to love my wife, and you are to love your wife spiritually. That your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, you want that family altar to be a center place in your relationship, then you've got to listen and you've got to be praying. And then God's blessing, which we won't go into this morning, but I want to close with this passage. There's actually a couple of them, and I didn't know which ones, but I'm going to go with Psalm 1. How many of you are taking our CCS training Western Seminary? Get that hand up. I see that hand. <laughs> we memorize Psalm 1. I think it's a good place to stop, to end. Because what he says in Peter is that we may inherit a blessing. Living in submission to God's blessings, what God wants to do, the end result. We're submitted to his word. We're submitted to his values. And the, re, the fruit of that is his blessings. So I was thinking maybe Matthew 5, with blessed, blessed. The word blessed means, oh, how happy is the man. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, here it is, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the squad. In other words, it, it has this idea you're moving, then you stop, then you sit. In ungodly counsel, ungodly relationships. Blessed man who walks not in those things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And listen, whatever he does shall prosper. Submission. Submission to God. Submission to God's word. Submission to God's values. Submission to God's blessings. I'm getting excited. Because these things are very clear. This is not something, well, I'm trying to figure out what he's saying. No, there it is. Whatever he does shall prosper. However, he says, verse 4, the ungodly are not so. But like the chaff, which, no, there's nothing. It's no substance, no weight, nothing. It's just like this chaff with no fruit, nothing. That's the ungodly. In other words, if you're not submitted to God, if you don't know God, if you're not walking according to God's order, if you're not walking according to God's design, if you're not keeping God's commandment, this is what happens. It's a shell that's blown away. So I say, let's get motivated. He would love life and see good days. There's a motivation that comes in this message today. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. May God help us. Amen. We looked at some things today. Maybe they're hard. Maybe, but may the Lord help us to understand these things that Peter is saying are his word. They're not easy. They're not something, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go home and do that. How many times have you gone home saying you're going to do it and nothing changes? I'm saying this morning right here for us, as we stand together to close, that we will understand we need to submit our lives to God every moment of every day. Which means it's God's order under God's authority. 
It means agreeing with God's design in keeping his commands. And when that's not going on, we need to get back to the cross and say, God, please forgive me. And so would you stand with me as we close today? I've asked Sophia if she would uh, sing that song, All to Jesus I Surrender. And as we do that, we can just bring our lives before the throne of grace, our prayers before God. Because the natural tendency of a fleshly life is to not want to hear what God is saying. Is not want to do what God has said. And we really are, (laughs) that's not good. So we bow before you, Lord. We've heard your word. We've thought some things this morning. We're believing your Holy Spirit is interacting in the minds of every believer as well as the unbeliever. That we need you. We need you to be our authority, our head. We need you, Jesus, more than we can ever uh, even articulate when it comes specifically to things that grate against our sinful selfishness. So, Lord, like you said in Peter, casting all your cares upon you because you care for us. I want that to happen now. I believe the Lord would just have us as we're singing all to Jesus, that it would not be just some words that we know and sung many but all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Maybe it's one of your children who's completely wayward. Maybe your marriage is having trouble. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's something at work. But there's areas where the Holy Spirit is sort of touching on in in this thing called submission, in trusting God, in confessing to God, in receiving from God. We just take these last few minutes singing this song and casting all our cares upon him because he cares for you.